the it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> But it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. On the show today, we want to uh, address a topic that we just briefly spoke about last week. Pastors running for political office. We will also look at Christian persecution in the news and end with our Bible topic from Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are very grateful that you're joining us today. Uh, we want to get it out up front and early. If you're new here, we ourselves are not religionless. We are quite Christian. Uh, but the world, and especially this nation that we find ourselves in, is becoming more and more secular, more and more religionless, you could say. Uh, so that, at least in part, is where the name comes from. And we're going to try to do this week what we try to do every week, and that's help Christians navigate this secular, religionless world as best we can while keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. That's the goal, live a life that's pleasing to God. And we do have a couple of news stories to discuss, um, but mostly, you know, we're going to be trying to look back at a topic that we just kind of briefly touched on, like Nikki said last week. It wasn't our main topic, but it seemed to garner some interest in the comments. So I thought, you know, maybe we'll just readdress it here and maybe keep the conversation going. So before we get to all the news stories, finally getting back to our Bible topic of knowing sin, uh, is there anything you would like to say? Uh, just thank you for your prayers for Spencer's sister and her family, uh, for their travels. They made it safely to the new home and they're settling in well and um, she's recovering well after her C-section. And She is. So thank you if you were praying. And pray for our trip to Michigan uh, Friday. We will be leaving, so about a week, and pray that our van doesn't have any issues. Since moving here, or maybe a little bit before we moved to New Mexico, it started kind of stalling. And I don't know if it was just like the heat. <laughs> it just was getting hot out. I don't know. It stalls sometimes. And I don't know. The mechanics never find an issue with the van. Of course, it never stalls when they're checking it out, so they just think you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, we got to take the van. But yeah, just pray for that the van wouldn't wouldn't stall. Nothing would happen there. And I just want to praise God. I, I made a friend. <laughs> um, yeah, and she's we have a lot in common. She is also a believer. And she's really into health and fitness, and um, our younger daughters are the same age, and they get along well. And she just lives a few houses down. And I was feeling kind of sick this evening. She had given me some elder, not elder, what's it called? Slippery elm, like a powder form of it. Sure. Anyway, I was feeling nauseous. I think Spencer says I eat too much fat, 
my burgers are too fatty and I had two of them on the carnivore diet and I, he's probably right. But anyway, I put this slippery elm powder in some warm water and I feel better. So praise God for that, for friends who help you out. <laughs> praise God for that. Uh, and maybe prayer <laughs> requests that we learn how to stay on track. I'm just kidding. You better quit. Um, you know, that is good. Um, a lot of learning lessons when you're transitioning your diet, things you mm -hmm. got to iron out there. Yeah. Um, but that is good. Um, I do have a prayer request. I know last week we talked about the potential of me um, kind of changing the way I go to seminary. So I currently go to seminary online right now, getting some of the initial classes out of the way before, you know, originally the plan was to retire and go to seminary and finish out that way. Um, but this mentor model idea um, got brought up. We tried to see if it was a possibility. It's not right now, um, just because I use the GI Bill for school and the GI Bill doesn't pay for the mentor model just yet. It may in the future. Mm -hmm. So um, just, you know, pray that um, I still, you know, continue to benefit and find joy in the seminary, which I am. I still love it. The master's is great. Um, but more than that, I guess the specific prayer request would be um, to pray that I would find opportunities to get back into some sort of ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, ever since I left Florida in the jail ministry, I've kind of been missing that whole, you know, preparation, you know, sharing, discussing with people. Um, I've been missing out on that. I like the devotionals. I enjoy it. But there's no real feedback, no real discussion. It's just, you know, me and Nikki reading the word and, and stuff like that. So just pray that I would find an opportunity to serve in that manner again. Um, not just because I enjoy it, but if you're going to be a pastor someday, you got to build reps somehow, right? So um, please pray for me there. And let's just get our plugs out of the way here as we normally do at this time before we roll into our discussion topic. So um, you guys know we're proud members of the Christian podcast community. Um, I think this Monday, so this will be what, August 7th, um, we'll be having, I believe, our next theology throwdown uh, with the different members. You never know who's going to show up on a theology throwdown. It's an open invitation to all the members of the Christian podcast community. We're going to do our best to be there. Um, can't promise it, but... What's the topic? I think the topic is, should Christians have their children in, like, martial arts or yoga? That's the topic. I'm interested what they're going to uh, say, because so, Jacob's in Taekwondo. Yeah, so come give that a, uh, a watch on YouTube or a listen on the podcast. We'll have links in the show notes. You can go find all 55 to 60 Christian podcasts on the Christian podcast community. Uh, and then I saw this story just this week. Uh, American nurse and child kidnapped from Christian ministry in Haiti. Hmm. So this American um, woman named, uh, what was her name? Alex Dorsainville, Dorsonville. She was kidnapped in Haiti, and they're now, I think, holding her supposedly on a million-dollar ransom. And Haiti's kind of a hotbed, right, for um, Christian ministries. There was just that group of 17 missionaries, I think, two or three years ago that was kidnapped. And I bring all the, you know, I bring this story up necessarily to lead us into cardinal contingency solutions. I talk to you guys about cardinal every week, um, and this specifically with their travel risk management 
you don't have to go to these places that are dangerous completely unprepared. You know, places like Haiti, uh, they need the gospel, of course, but man, you better be prepared. You better know what you're walking into because it's a dangerous place for Christians. And, um, you know, getting a little bit of extra training, devoting that little bit of extra time to make sure that you're prepared, to make sure that you have contacts, to make sure you know what assets are in the area, how you can utilize those assets to keep yourself safe or keep your missionaries safe, your team safe is vitally important. So do yourself the favor. If you're a missionary, a church, reach out to Cardinal, just a phone call, an email, see if they have something that can help you. Um, just be a little bit more prepared before you walk out the door so that you're not the next mm -hmm. um, Alex Dor Dorsainsville. Um, you know, they can't guarantee it, but right, the more prepared you are, the less likely you are to fall into a situation like that. So reach out to Cardinal. They'll be in the show notes as well. And then, um, of course, here, let's end with the shameless plugs. If you guys want to help our show out, easiest way to do that is just drop a like, um, drop a subscribe. If you're on YouTube, Rumble, Facebook, whatever it happens to be. If you're on a podcast that happens to allow you to leave a comment or a review, please consider doing that. That would certainly help us. And then if you want to support the show monetarily, uh, we do have some affiliate links down in the show notes. You can use those links, buy whatever you want. We get a small percentage at no extra cost to you. It just helps us, you know, buy things that we need, promote the show however we need to promote it. Um, and more than that, it just lets us know that people are listening, they're engaged, uh, they care about it. And that's all super motivating, let me tell you, because uh, mm -hmm. this can be a grind at times. So if you want to do that, we would be blessed by it. Um, all right, so... As we mentioned, um, this was kind of a discussion topic that we started last week, the idea of pastors running for president. Um, so that's what we want to discuss again here today, just a little bit more in depth. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to start by reading a comment that I got, or really it's two comments, but from one uh, commenter on YouTube uh, because I thought it was good. And I think it's indicative of what a lot of Christians believe. You know, so we, um, you know, the podcast by and large was about uh, the documentary, The Essential Church, but the comment was just simply um, Trump versus pastor. Guess you vote for Trump is what he said to me. So just for fairness sake, I'll share my responses to these two comments. Um, so I responded back to him. I said, it would certainly depend on the pastor, but yes, most likely I would vote for Trump. To be fair, though, I would vote for Trump over nearly every other person running for president. And then I asked, where do you fall? Do you like the idea of pastor running for office? Uh, and then he responded to that by saying, is this coming from your head or your heart? Is this a matter that you prayed about and Holy Spirit gave you an unction to vote for this man? A womanizer, cheater, liar, not healer, but a divider, sowing discord, revengeful and just plain old slick. Uh, so again, just out of fairness, I'll read my response. I said, also, don't forget to add in, uh, don't forget to add in the man that ended Roe versus Wade. And I think what, I think what you are espousing is what gets a lot of Christians. Trump doesn't have to be a good man to be a good president or to be president. He needs to be a good leader and do what's best for the nation and the people. He did that by and large up until COVID. The president isn't a spiritual leader, pastor, friend, or anything other than leader. 
I would rather have a great leader as president than a great guy. He isn't my first choice, but that has nothing to do with his personal failings. I just think there are better leaders. We question our pastors hard and demand they meet biblical qualifications. Don't confuse national leader with spiritual leader. They are very different and require different qualities. It would be great if a president was both, but not required in my opinion. Um, That's what I said. And then I'll just, uh, the last thing I said, there was another question. Do you think Biden is a better option or easier on the conscience than Trump? So Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my responses to that initial question. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I had a lot I was thinking about just reading your your responses. But there, there are many pastors that think, you know, things like, we should have open borders and just let anyone come on in, you know, in the name of compassion. And and they argue that Jesus would let them all in, but that's not wise. Like, do they recognize that these, you know, open borders is bringing in all kinds of drugs and the trafficking as well? So where, and also where does certain pa- uh, pastors stand on war? Like, that's a big one. Um, you just don't know where they're going to stand on that. So our relationships with other countries matters. Like, do they know anything? Are they just thinking Christianize the nation, but they could really put our country in danger? Um, So what will they do in the name of peace and love, but they don't know our enemies, our country's enemies, and what they really have planned? So a pastor should be focused focused on like the our spiritual enemy, but the president isn't. We're not, like, we know we're always in a spiritual war, but that's the, the pastors is, should be focused on the spiritual well-being of the flock. Uh, president's job is not the spiritual well-being. Um, so I just think, like, a megachurch pastor uh, caters to the wants of the congregation, the world, you know, the whole thing, like, come as you are, comfort, um, so I think they might still have that mindset being a president, just whatever the people want, you know, they're used to having the fame, being liked by their congregation, by they're just, they have a name for themselves. They're a megachurch pastor. So yeah, I just worry. As you are, the Lord, the country accepts <laughs> you as you are with all your fentanyl and underage I, sex trafficked girls. Come as you yeah. are. No, uh, I mean, but those... Again, while you know some of those qualities can be very disastrous for a nation, they are good as a pastor. You want a pastor whose heart is wide open, right? Loving, yeah. You know, is his you know number one quality, right? Compassionate, you know, empathetic, and all these sorts of things. You want a pastor to be that. That's what they should be. They're hospitable, but you don't want like the president just to be so welcoming and hospitable. Like you need to be wise and well i told him he could store his missiles in our country because it just seemed rude to say no like Eh, is it wrong because you they're following scripture you know if someone steals or take you know slaps your cheek you just give them the other like are they looking at that in in light of how to run a country like i just don't that makes me nervous you know what i mean yeah i mean and again because i think as we'll get into here a little bit um, or here pretty soon, you know, the qualifications and what you're looking for in each person are different. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, what makes somebody a great pastor 
may not make them a great president. And what makes somebody a great president won't make them a great pastor. They're different jobs. They require different personality types. Mm -hmm. And there are the few and far between where you get a perfect combination where, you know, somebody's a great man of God and a great leader as well. You know, you get the occasional George Washingtons um, yeah, and these sorts of things. It's a job but qualification, not your faith, like what you believe in. Like, are you qualified? Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah, you can definitely um, be really qualified in one area that doesn't necessarily translate over well to the other area for sure. Like I get being a Christian, you do your best. You like, you feel like if someone's a Christian, they're not going to cut corners. They're going to be more, you know, they're working under the Lord. They're going to be more perfect in, in, you know, in their decisions and their convictions and, but they need to know what they're doing at the same time. <laughs> well, and it even, you know, just as somebody who's spent uh, my adult life in the government, you know, a lot of the way that you operate in the government as opposed to in a church situation is different. You know, the Bible, the pastor's job is to ultimately, you know, distill it down to like the black and white almost of this is the way a Christian lives and this is the way a Christian doesn't live. We need to figure that out in every given situation. Whereas the government, by and large, most of our rules and regulations are written purposefully to be a bit gray area. Mm -hmm. Give the person in charge some discretion on which way they want to do things. And so it doesn't even necessarily benefit your training as a pastor to be really diving into what's the black and white. What am I supposed to do here? What is God telling me? Um, whereas in, you know, the government, it's just like, well, you know, I mean, we wrote it that way for a reason. We kind of want the boss to have a little bit of leeway either way. And you're like, man, that's really frustrating. I can tell you how frustrating it is. So, um, it's different, different jobs, different qualifications, and they're for different purposes, um, for sure. So, and I think, you know, even the idea of wanting, you know, sort of a pastor, to be a politician or looking for your politician to have pastoral qualities and stuff, I think is foolish because mm -hmm. the way I look at it, at least by and large, I believe all national politicians, not just Donald Trump, I believe they're all basically like narcissistic egomaniacs. That might sound harsh, um, but I think anybody who has the mindset that, you know, I have this unique ability that I can guide this nation back from the brink of collapse and I can regain our footing on the world stage. I think it tells you a lot about how highly they think of themselves, that you alone have this unique capability. Like that's just, that speaks to ego. And again, you have to have that. I think he, I was going to say, you have to be that kind of person. Because if you're just too humble, you're going to think, Oh, there's nothing I could do. You know, I just, yeah, it yeah, takes I mean, that like kind of person. You need a person that's willing to look other world leaders, other militaries, you know, eye to eye and not back down. That's a very important quality. And it's really so. not a big deal. I mean, you want, you want your president to have a relationship with God. You want them to pray. But at the same time, God hears our prayers. Even if your president is, you know, Donald Trump, he's, he's not really refined. Um, we Probably pray for praying, him, but even still, but we are praying for him. We're told right, to for sure. pray for our leaders and we're not instructed anywhere to like 
pick godly leaders in that respect in government. Yeah. We're, we're told to pray for them. I mean, I think in a sense, we are to vote for godly well, people make as best we can, right? Because right. in Romans 13, they should be people that are punishing the evildoer and rewarding the right. just and the good. So, But I mean, like the Donald Trump. Like, right. And that's what we kind of talk that, about. You right. should be a person who's, you know, um, prone towards Christian sensibilities, yeah. at least on a policy level. Whereas even if your own life, you have some failings. Like, but you know what right and wrong is, even if you're not a Christian, even if your life is messed up, like, you know. Yeah. And I was probably a little bit harsh by saying egomaniacs and narcissistic, yeah. um, though maybe they are there. I think it's more just because you can be you know, a humble person in a sense, but still be bold and still be, you know, sure and confident and all these sorts of things like to the max, um, which I think, again, is necessary. You have to be those things. So, you know, regardless, regardless of who it is, you know, Donald Trump, obviously, but even the Joe Bidens of the world. And, you know, I consider Mr. Hallelujah there, you know, Tim Scott, I would say they're all in the same boat as far as these gigantic egos um, because again, you have to have that mindset to think, yeah, I can get on the world stage and I can lead this global superpower in the right direction. Well, it makes that sense takes... that a megachurch pastor has that mindset. So right. that's why. I think so, yeah. And this even goes to our current favorite. You know, we're, we'll lump Ron DeSantis in with this whole bunch there of being the same big ego, um, lots of confidence, if you want to call it that. But that doesn't disqualify him. No, it's fine. You have to have. I think it's foolish to think that we've had a president that wasn't that. Whether it's George Bush stumbling over his words, you know, Barack Obama, who everybody thinks is super slick and cool, to George Washington. I think they all had gigantic egos and tons of confidence in themselves because you have to have that. Um, so just to, to say that, I think. That's the way I look at all of them on a national level. You know, maybe when you get down to mayors and these sorts of people, maybe it's different. I don't know. But um, I did want to just take a second to look at specifically, we keep talking about different qualifications. Well, what are the qualifications for each office, for pastor and for president? So let's look at president first. And um, let me grab my, uh, I'm sure every good American patriot's got their trusty pocket constitution next to him at all times, of course. Um, but so what are the qualifications of president? And um, Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, it says, no person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained to the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. That's the qualification. It's a pretty low bar. Naturalized or a natural citizen, 35 years of age, you've lived here for 14 years, you're in. Um, so let's go and look at the qualifications for being a pastor. Uh, let me get this pulled up here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Do you want to read that, honey? Sure. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, 
hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Yep. And uh, if I can, I'll add just um, because there's probably many other verses that we could go to to kind of highlight the type of man who should be leading a church, a pastor. But one more that I just wanted to put in here because I think it's applicable, uh, and that would be Acts chapter 6, verse 4. And that says, um, and this is the apostles while they're um, getting together, deciding on um, selecting deacons to help take care of, you know, in that case, the orphans and the widows and feeding them. And they say, let's get the deacons, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So in, a, you know, in addition to that lengthy list in 1 Timothy, I would say a pastor also needs to be a person who devotes themselves to prayer in ministry of the word, mm-hmm. you know, so the qualifications that I think a lot of Christians seem to want for a president is in fact what they ought to be looking for in a pastor, though I would be curious how many people actually scrutinize their pastor to this degree yeah. where they scrutinize a president to this degree. Um, they're afraid to because, whoa, to those who come against God's anointed. <laughs> Right, like, so this is why That's you get those mega church pastors or whoever that fall into sin and the congregation is like, well, you know, he, he said he's sorry. Let's, can we just yeah. bring him back? But then, you know, a politician does something and they're like, oh, that guy's a scumbag, that bum. The big difference is, you know, the pastor, you don't know the politician. It's easy to trash the guy you don't know. Right. But yeah. the, the qualifications are flipped mm-hmm. um, there. So when you're talking about Donald Trump's a womanizer you know, sure, all these different things. Well, it says here that in First Timothy, um, the pastor must have a good reputation with those outside the church. That's a pastoral qualification. That's a Christian qualification. Um, and I think this idea, at least to me, it's why I believe Christians are constantly duped into voting um, really against their own best interest and really against the interests that they actually believe are most important for the nation. It seems like Christians care more about the nation being blessed than their congregation following the Lord and being led by a true godly shepherd. They want the president to pretty much be more godly than their own pastor. Yeah, well... In a sense. I mean, the way that they think of this, this... I guess it's be, you know, who you classify as a Christian, right? Because 65% of the country says they're Christian, 6% have a biblical worldview. So that's what, 59% that really aren't Christian. So it makes sense that their desires and their interests are far more worldly. Um, And I mean, I, I think it's human nature, you know, to want a leader to guide us and to be sort of the emblem that we can all aspire to or whatever, rather than you know, but the health of the nation depends on the health of the church. So I feel like they're putting more emphasis on 
the president than the health of the churches, the leaders of the churches, the shepherds. I agree. And I think maybe some of that is just kind of, I don't know if it's laziness, right? It's a lot easier to sit and, you know, rail against the president for not doing what's right. And, you know, than it is to look at yourself and go, well, I should correct that in me. You know, maybe I should get out of debt. No, no, I wish the president would pay off our national debt. And they're like, ain't you in debt? Hold on now. Who are you to judge me, right? Get off my case. I know. Where's that brotherly love, you know? We're all a piece of this puzzle. Right. I mean, and (laughs) let's be clear here. Nikki and I aren't absolving ourselves from this. We're all human. We all fall into these traps. That's why we talk about it, right? Because we need to talk about this as much as anybody. Whatever we're talking about, we're, we're preaching to ourselves. Yes. <laughs> because it's natural for you to hear somebody or, you know, and especially the news, right, is awful because they're only going to tell you the negative parts. So it's hard to root for somebody that you don't personally like, you know, and I don't like Donald Trump as a person. I don't think I'd enjoy hanging out with him. I don't like listening to him talk. I don't like his lifestyle. It's not my lifestyle, right? Um, but you do have to sort of, you know, think about things and think like, okay, I, I don't want to hang out with the guy, but can he lead? And again, this is the, the decision you have to make, but like same goes, you know, and that's why Barack Obama was so hugely popular. Even in the midst of his presidency, a lot of people would say they didn't like his policies, but they really thought he was a good dude, cool guy, like to hang out with them, good family. And that was somehow good enough, um, which is just, it shouldn't be. So, um, but I, you know, I think trying to hold presidents to a pastoral um, model or mm-hmm. a personality, again, I think it's why Christians get duped. Mm-hmm. Um, because by and large, you know, Donald Trump, speaking of what this guy's talking about, you know, he's a womanizer, cheater, liar, not a healer, a divider, revengeful, all these sorts of things. I mean, my response would be, so what, right? So what if he's, if he's all of that? Because I don't know him, you know, Nikki and I will likely never meet him. We'll never have a meal with him. We don't read his books. You know, we don't listen to really his speeches. I wouldn't really want any politician in my house. <laughs> no, by and large, not really. Um, but I mean, we don't read his books. We don't listen to him. We don't, he's not a leader in our life and faith or any of that right, sort of stuff. Right, we don't look to him for our faith, like how to walk. So, And really, unless we're talking about it on the show, we never even listen to a speech or whatever that he gives. So what do I care if he is all those things. I mean, I wish for his own soul he wasn't. I'd yes, love if he was repentant, sake. but I don't care, right? My question that I think I have to ask myself and I think you should ask yourself um is you know, is he going to lead this nation well and do what's best for the people? You know, so does the president advocate for policies, you know, that I and my faith agree with even if he doesn't live them out? I mean, by and large, I think Donald Trump did that. You know, he's a non-Christian that gave us what, you know, 60 years worth of supposedly Christian presidents couldn't do in overturning Roe versus Wade. A non-Christian did that. Um, A non-Christian moved the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was monumental in its time. Uh, You know, he's got judges on the Supreme Court that are finally beginning to remove sort of the racism of affirmative action. You know, he, the same judges just sort of voted to uphold Christian liberty in America. So God answers the prayers of his people, no matter who's in power. We're praying this imperfect, sinful man 
God's using to answer prayers. It's almost Give like God it's the glory. better that he's not a Christian because it keeps uh-huh. Christians more activated. Like we need to push him in the right direction, which is what Christians should always be doing. It's what our founders envisioned us doing, always pushing these politicians in the right direction. So maybe having a non-Christian who personally lives a pretty abhorrent lifestyle, but is still um, advocates for our policies, like that might be the perfect mix of like, we're activated enough to push him in the right direction. And, uh, you know, because we don't rest on it where, well, he said he's a Christian. So sure, he wants to have our kids cut their genitals off, but he said he's a Christian. I'll just go to sleep now, right? Um, At least with Donald Trump, maybe you're a non-Christian. You're like, this fool might slip if we're not pushing him in the right direction. So that might even be better for us. Um, But again, it's like Christians just seem to want a pastor for president. And, uh, you know, I think, again, getting duped, this is why you have over 50% of Christians that voted for someone like Barack Obama. You know, they Mm -hmm. say like, well, you know, he says he's Christian, right? That's what he tells us. We see him go to church. And, you know, look at that family that Barack has, right? Oh, the wife and the children, they just look like the good old Christian American family. So they'll get the vote. All the, you know, half the Christians in the country line up to vote for him. Well, Barack Obama essentially gave us the LGBTQ pride America, you know, this degenerate society that we live in today. And 50% of Christians got behind him and promoted that because, well, he says he's Christian, looks like a good old Christian family. And then President Biden, the same thing. He's got about 50% of the Christian vote. And he's basically doubled down on that accelerated the pride movement in America as best he can. So sitting here in 2023, how did that work out for Christian America? They both said they were Christian. That worked out well for us. Um, Society seems to be like morally decaying around us, but we got a Christian in the White House, right? Just hearing that someone is a Christian is not using discernment. You're not just voting for the Christian is not discernment. No, it's not at all. We're supposed to discern right from wrong, looking at what they're doing. I don't, yeah, I mean, but again, we're talking this out loud because we're just as liable to fall into it um, as well. I mean, I I was just thinking about, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mm -hmm. you know, and when we did our uh, discussion two or three weeks ago now on the Republican presidential candidates, we both really liked Vivek. A lot of his answers, he seems to be, you know, very forward thinking. He seems mm-hmm. to have at least an answer for the tough problems, whether those answers work or not, who knows, but at least he has thinking something. Thinking about it, yeah. But then you come down to it and you, he's like, I'm a Hindu. And you're like, well. I know. <laughs> you know. But then you have to go back and go, all right, but does he stand for religious freedom? Is it he better? espouse Christian principles? Was it better that he just says he's atheist or that he's Hindu? What bothers you more? Right. I mean, well, atheist would bother me more. Most certainly. But even still, right, um, because most of these presidents, by and large, they're not believers. I mean, we've talked about President Biden on this show. You can't convince me that he's a real Catholic, if you want to call him Catholic or Christian. You're not going to convince me that because nobody would believe that mutilating um, somebody's genitals, transgenderism and abortion. You can't. I don't believe you can believe in that stuff and support it to the level they do and actually love Christ. I don't believe it. So Mm. you can't convince me of that. But, um, and I do want to make the caveat here that we're not trying to make this about Donald Trump. That just happens to be the comment that jumped us off. And he's 
in the political world today, Trump is everything, whether you're for him or against him. I don't like it, um, but this isn't about Donald Trump for us. This is about the presidency in general. Um, so I will just mention on the Donald Trump front, um, we will recognize Donald Trump has major flaws um, and not even just the personal flaws. He's got a myriad of personal flaws, of course. Um, but in what's probably the greatest leadership crisis of our lives here at 38 years old, COVID and the COVID you know, response, he failed pretty epically. He failed pretty badly. Um, in hindsight, you know, how he handled that response. So, and this is like, this is the stuff that I care about when I'm looking for a president, which is why Donald Trump is not the highest on my list of who I would vote for. Um, it's not that he's a womanizer. I certainly don't like it. I pray he would repent, but his handling of COVID means far more to me than his personal failings mm -hmm. um, in the marriage right. department. I agree. Um, so again, that's why we support someone like Ron DeSantis more. We think he did a better job as a leader, you know. Um, so it's great when George Washington is up for president, right? If that ever came about, it'd be great and we would vote for George Washington, right? But there's just not many George Washingtons walking around running for political office today. So you're ultimately left with voting for the best option. And usually because we're all fallen men and women, you're voting for the best of the bad options at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, it's just human nature, right? Um, but even on that, like, we're pretty opposed to just the simple idea of a pastor um, in general kind of running for president, not even because they may not have the qualifications, I guess, but like, just on the surface, if you ask me like, hey, should a, a pastor run for president or whatever, like, my initial idea would be like, no, of course not. Um, I think that's a bad idea. Um, and I think largely it's because pastors and politicians, um, they're often, their governance and their leadership or spheres are in like two different, oftentimes opposing spheres. Um, so like there shouldn't be crossover there, I feel like a lot of times. Uh, it just seems weird to me. And uh, one of our other commentators on the video last week made this point, um, basically saying, you cannot mix the two offices. The church and state are both separate and sovereign in their own sphere. Although the idea of sovereignty belongs to God alone, both the church and state are delegated authorities under God, who is the supreme authority. Did they watch the essential church? <laughs> I'm not sure if they watched it, and that's why they made the comment. It sounds like something that was explained in it. But it's interesting because uh, just as we were you know, getting ready to record this episode, I was just looking at this Bible that I had laying around just because it's laying around. And I know in the realm of Christian nationalist talking points, you're not allowed to have a patriotic Bible anymore. Where did we get that one? Uh, I think we got it from like a thrift store. Is that the one I grabbed recently? Yeah. But I just happened to flip it open to a page and saw John Kelvin's picture. And I thought, well, let's read what Kelvin has to say. And it seemed very fitting for today's episode. He says, so this is John Kelvin. He says, the church has no power of the sword to punish or to coerce, no authority to compel, no prisons, fines, or other punishments like those inflicted by the civil magistrate. 
The difference, therefore, is very great, because the church does not assume to itself what belongs to the magistrate, nor can the magistrate execute that which is ex- uh, executed by the church. And that's, I think, you know, partly why I just on the surface, the idea of pastors running for president is like you're trying to blend the two um, separate sovereign spheres of governance. And I think I'm just uh, opposed to that generally because, you know, being a pastor, at least to me, the way I view it. And again, I think we said last week that America generally, I think, has a pretty low view of pastors and elders, which is a shame. But mm-hmm. being a pastor, much like probably being a president, is like a real calling on your life. It should be like a mission in your life to get to that point, um, leading in that spiritual sphere. Um, I don't think being a pastor, really of any size church by and large, but especially if you've planted a church, grown it, it's big, and you know all these sorts of things, it shouldn't be a stepping stone to a better job. I think we even mentioned this. I don't even like when pastors leave their church to go to another church. You know, like when Andy Wood left his church in San Francisco to go take over for Rick Warren and Saddleback, you're like, you just left a 3,000-member church that you planted and grew to go to a bigger church? That looks really awful. I know. Um, Now, that doesn't mean, you know, again, none of this is blanket statements, right? If uh, If you move from church to church, I'm sure there's reasons just on the surface of it. Not a big fan, but especially going from pastor to president. Um, it shouldn't be a stepping stone. It should be, you know, the top of the mountain for you. It should be the summit of, you know, your goals in life to get to that pastorship and stay there and grow and there's no know, higher shepherd calling the flock. than sharing the gospel, sharing the word and teaching the word of God. There's nothing, there's nothing greater you can do. It's like, yeah, what kind of a view do you have of this? of what you do for the Lord. And again, it may be an incorrect assumption on our part, but that's the way I see it when a pastor, like the guy we talked about last week, Ryan Binkley, you know, like when you've climbed to the summit of this life calling, and then you're like, I'm running for president. It's almost like you got there and you went, it's not as fulfilling as I was hoping. I'm going to go do something that I think is better. And you're like, you think being a politician is better than being a pastor? Now I question your judgment in all areas. You know, overseeing uh, souls versus overseeing political affairs is, yeah, very different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just seems weird to want to cross that again. Makes me question, right? Maybe those people who think being American means Christian or Republican means Christian. (laughs) Yeah, the American flag and the cross are equal. (laughs) Um, But yeah, because like a pastor, right, your job... Your sphere um, is spiritual growth, um, leading and growing people in spiritual faithfulness. And you understand if you're going into pastoring that that's the most important aspect of people's lives, and that's what you're solely devoting yourself to. Whereas a president or a politician, for that matter, you know, you're about leading a nation, and in this case, a nation of very diverse beliefs and interests. And your goal, your you know, whereas a pastor is spiritual growth, spiritual faithfulness, and all this sort of stuff, a president is trying to do what's in the best interest of the nation. Again, for very diverse um, people groups and interests and all that sort of stuff, not just domestically, but also foreign, like on the foreign mm-hmm. stage. 
Um, so it's not necessarily that you can just focus on religious grounds. Um, now, presidents, as we mentioned before, they need pastors um, to push them into making the correct moral decisions. Um, but pastors should be focused on the spiritual realm and presidents, you know, should be focused on giving really like pastors and just all people the safest and the best place to operate. Like it's two different spheres, mm -hmm. um, like John Kelvin mentioned. So that's why I don't like seeing them try to cross over. It's like you were dissatisfied in one. And what's interesting is I don't know that I'd be curious if you know, there's ever been a president who's left the presidency and gone to be a pastor? Or do we value presidency as like the highest achievement, you know, and where you would never leave the presidency to step down to be a pastor or something, but all mm -hmm. these men are great godly people supposedly, right? Um, be interesting to know if any of that ever happened. I think I read, was it Dwight Eisenhower, I believe got baptized in the White House? Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but um, so ultimately, I just think when we go into a political election with the idea that, you know, I want the guy who presents himself as the most Christian, um, I think we're easily taken advantage of. You know, we fall for sort of the Christian family shtick or the super religious guy shtick, you know, like the Obamas did. And we end up paying the price for it because, like Nikki mentioned, we just lack discernment. We can't see through it and look at, you know, really what they advocate for and not be so distracted with who they are personally. Um, and then just on the fact of, of, you know, again, a pastor wanting to leave the pastorship to go pursue politics. And again, just my opinion, you don't have to agree with it. Uh, I'm not sure I would trust their judgment all that well, because um, I don't know how you could see politics is more important than the church. Uh, and what you're kind of doing in that spiritual realm doesn't make sense to me. I think I would have a hard time getting behind it just on the surface. Not saying that's a blanket statement. There could be the perfect candidate sometime down the road. Um, and again, hopefully we would get behind them. But just on the surface of a pastor leaving for politics, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of it. I guess just for those people who will vote for, you know, like the Obama types just because they say they're Christian, but they're clearly not like you'd rather, I would rather vote for pastor. Well, right. And again, that's ultimately politics, right? And, you know, you'd vote for who you think is the best candidate in the primaries and all these sorts of things, but ultimately, and again, you don't have to, right? You can vote for whoever you want, but if it comes down to two candidates, then again, you're kind of picking the best of the worst in a lot of cases. Um, so yeah, I guess if it came down to somebody who's has antichrist policies versus someone with at least Christ focused policies, even if they're running amiss, probably just for conscience sake, I'm going to vote for uh, the guy with Christ focused policies. But I think that's how people did vote for conscience sake. They say they're a Christian. So I'll just I don't have to think about anything else. That's enough for me. Yeah. Not a good plan. Because, um, again, a lot of these guys are master manipulators, right, uh, that run for political office. They have teams of people that tell them exactly what to say and how to say it and who to say it to. Well, Satan so, disguises himself as an angel of light, right? Yeah. So we're told. So we do need to be very careful. <laughs>
So why, again, as we like to do with all of our main topics, why is this important to Christians? Um, I believe it's important to Christians because Christians need to have better discernment and stop being duped by lying politicians that know how to play on our emotions. Um, we need leaders that make America the safest, freest, and most prosperous place that it can be. Um, and if that person happens to be like the best Christian on the planet, <laughs> then that's great. And uh, we should vote for them for sure. Uh, but if that person isn't a Christian, but advocates for policies that line up with our Christian sensibilities, that's great also. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a non-Christian that advances Christian ideals is better than a supposed Christian that advances anti-Christ ideals. Yeah. And I think we got to start seeing that uh, or else we're just going to continue down this path of moral decay, being duped each and every you know, election cycle. So what should we do about it? Um, well, again, I think we should realize that we're voting for policies and principles, not people per se, which is actually probably backwards from the way most America votes. You know, I think mm -hmm. by and large, they yeah. say name recognition is the number one factor in voting. People vote for who they know for or know, right? That's mm -hmm. why Donald Trump is a celebrity can garner so much attention. People know who he is. Um, that's why we vote for the same politicians that have been in office for 20 years. Well, we know who they are. I know who Mitch McConnell is. I'm just going to pull the trigger for him. I'm not going to have to think about it, right? But we actually should be voting for the principles that they stand for and the policies that they're advocating for. You know, it makes me think of the election back in Georgia, the Senate election, when it was Herschel Walker versus Ralph Warnock. And Herschel Walker kind of came out that he was kind of a scummy dude. Um, but he was advocating for pro-life, in a lot of respects, pro-Christian policies, whereas Ralph Warnock, he's the reverend uh, senator, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he stands for trans and our kids, aborting babies, all these sort of anti-Christ things. And you're like, all right, well, I feel like I should vote for the guy that's pro-life, even if he's a scumbag, right? But that's not what Georgia did, obviously. So, um, you know, look at what the person is advocating for is, I think, what we should be doing, not necessarily the smear jobs or whatever it happens to be that the media is putting out. Because, mm -hmm. um, again, we've had nothing but supposedly Christian presidents since really the founding of this nation, as far as you can go back. But specifically, like the last 60, 70 years, they've basically all been supposedly Christian of some sort. Yet all we've seen is moral collapse, debt skyrocket, wars, right? All things that you don't suppose a Christian would be advocating very strongly for. Um, and then we get one non-Christian president, and he accomplishes more for the Christian cause than all the others before him, right? So we need to look for, um, I think, people that are advocating the right principles and policies um, in that have great leadership traits, not necessarily are they a good dude? Would I hang out with them and have, you know, lunch with them? Does their family look nice? I mean, that can't be the selling factor. You don't have there. to be able to relate to your president on a personal level. No, yeah, not at all. Um, so how should we pray about it? Uh, well, first, I think the first thing we should pray for is that God would actually give us godly leaders that mm -hmm. are great leaders, right? Because that would make our job a whole lot easier um, if you just had that perfect mix of faith in God and bold, courageous leadership. 
that's ideal. Let's pray for that. Um, but then, you know, I think in light of that, we need to be praying again for discernment to sort of see through the lies, see through um, all of the stage shows and all that sort of stuff and get to the real meat and the policies that someone stands for. Um, and then I think we need to be praying that we're not easily swayed or duped, you know, again, by the lies, the fear mongering, all that sort of stuff in the media, you know, the sort of push you one way or the other. Uh, we need to pray to resist that sort of stuff. Um, so do you have any final thoughts here on pastors running for president, for political office, anything like that? Nope. All right. Um, so before we get into our Bible topic, there is just a few more stories, uh, a couple news stories that I wanted to touch on kind of from the realm of Christian persecution. And uh, the first two news articles come from across the Atlantic. Uh, do you want to read this headline? MPs press the Church of England to rid itself of priests who oppose the ordination of women. Great ejection 2.0. So this first story comes from um, it's a House of Commons meeting in England on July 20th. And it's a discussion between Dame Diana Johnson, which I believe Dame is her position, um, who I believe is the chair of the uh, the Commons Home Affairs, whatever that is. I don't know. What is the MP? That is Member of Parliament. Okay. So it's between this Diana Johnson, uh, this fella named Sir Petum Bottomley. That's for real. That's his name. Mm. Uh, he's the MP of, from Worthington West or Worthing West. And then Andrew Salas, Salas, a member of parliament for Southwest Bedfordshire. So um, do you want to read this part here first from Dame Diana Johnson? She says, it is really appropriate for the Church of England to continue appointing clergy, as happened recently in Blackburn, who have not accepted and who will never personally accept the ordination of women. Oh, it was a question. I think I read it as a statement. Sorry. No, you read it she as said, it is when she said, is it? Sorry. Yeah. Is it that really appropriate? Yeah. She's asking a question. Is it really appropriate for the <laughs> church of England to continue appointing these clergy who oppose female ordination? Um, and then the response down here from Sir Peter Bottomley he says, um, the church commissioner should understand that either the Church of England gets rid of what ought to have been temporary exemptions from the Equality Act 2010, or Parliament will do that for it. And then Andrew Salaeus responds, I have very clearly heard um, what my honorable friend, you know, this Sir Peter Bottomley and this Dame Diana Johnson have said, the church will have heard that as well. Um, so that's the first story that we wanted to talk about. Let's kick these uh, pastors out or these, you know, Anglican ministers out that oppose female ordination. And then do you want to read the headline of this second story? Revealed how Church of England schools are teaching. P. 
pyramid of white supremacy theory in schools, which tells children that not confronting racism can lead to genocide. And then just this first paragraph. Children in Church of England schools these first two, I'm sorry. are being taught a pyramid of white supremacy, anti-racism theory that tells them that avoiding confrontation can lead to genocide. The theory is displayed in a graphic put together by the U.S.-based Equality Institute, which describes itself as a global feminist agency working to advance gender equality and end violence against women and girls. Where else would that pyramid be put together than by a U.S.-based <laughs> Equality Institute? Um, but then down just a little further in the document, it says, or in the article, I'm sorry, it says, reacting to the document, high-profile Church of England uh, priest Father Marcus Walker, the rector at historic London Church St. Bartholomew the Great, that is a school name <laughs> if I've ever heard one, he told Mail Online, the enthusiasm with which some in the Church of England are diving into the culture war is profoundly depressing. Children are not there to be indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. Oh, Father Marcus, how wrong you are. Uh, yes, they are. To the godless mm -hmm. left, they are coming for your children. That is exactly what they're doing in the public schools. Um, or even the private schools in England there. Uh, the Church of England schools. But, you know, we also know that this stuff's being taught here in the schools in America, which uh, pull your kids out of school and homeschool them if you have the ability. Um, but to have religious institutions buying into this uh, yeah. this nonsense is pretty alarming. And, uh, you know, we've been saying for a while on this show that the DIE crowd was going to try and make the pitch that Christianity is a white man's religion and really kind of drive that wedge between races to undermine faith in Christ in whatever way they can. If they can find the DIE angle, they will. Um, you know, even hearing that in this country, um, going back to like, oh, well, all of, you know, all they get taught in seminary is these white European theologians, right? It's this white Christian faith nonsense. Um, well, it seems like the Church of England's fully on board with that, teaching the thinking... white supremacy pyramid. What all the the black Hebrew Israelites think of that statement? Yeah, I'd be interested <laughs> in that. Uh, well, they might discredit it outright because they're the only ones that are Jews and Israelites. Well, that's what I mean. They're going to speak against that. So it's kind of like, you know, you want them to. It's in one sense, you want them to say that. But on the other hand, just to, you know, stop the persecution. But yeah, on our I side... <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know that you want black Hebrew Israelites on anybody's side. <laughs> no, that um, is kind of, I just wonder like, well, what do they think of that? Yeah, it's the white That's why I think religion. I asked a black Hebrew Israelite because they were quoting from the King James Bible. And I was like, why would you read from the King James? It was written by supposedly like her heretical Gentile white Europeans. Why would you read? <laughs> well, you know, it's just, uh, okay, well, whatever. So anyway, uh, anyways. Uh, let's not ask that question. But um, so I only read these stories or see them because I follow, you know, Kelvin Robinson, the reverend from uh, the Free Church of England. Mm -hmm. I follow him on 
X now? Is that what it's called? Not Twitter anymore. I guess it's not Twitter. It's X? Yeah, so Why? I saw one of his X's. I don't get it. That sounds weird to say. I saw one of Kelvin Robinson's X's, and they're like, Everybody should married? just stick with saying tweet. Yeah, it's bizarre. Don't, um, don't change it. Like, are they going to be the new metaverse? Like when Zuckerberg was like, yeah. Facebook ain't good enough. We're taking, and then everybody was like, that's a really dumb idea. We don't like the idea of metaverse. And so we'll see what happens with X. But anyways, I follow Kelvin Robinson. So I see occasional Anglican kind of stories. Um, and that's why I, I read them or pay attention to it at all. But I do think it's important to see what's happening across the pond here. Um, because England's kind of always a little bit ahead of America on like the progressive push. So kind of seeing what's happening over there. I think can give us a little bit of foreshadowing of what might happen here because our leaders here are by and large the same as the leaders there. They have the same mm -hmm. sensibilities. Um, and what we see, especially from these two stories, right? And I think I saw another story. I couldn't find it when I was looking for it, but it was about like an Anglican bishop or something to that effect who had his bank accounts frozen. Uh, I think, don't quote me on this, I think it was for kind of opposing either the LGBTQ mm. movement or the female ordination movement, but he had his bank accounts frozen as well. If you can find that story, leave it to me too. in the comments. But um, so we're seeing Christians over there, especially in the church, in the literal church, um, being persecuted for sticking to, you know, biblical living, not willing to succumb to kind of the progressive infiltration of their faith. So we're seeing it happen not on the outskirts, but right in the heart of the church there. Yeah, and they're going to get more and more strict with it, right? You know, now it's like this issue, but next it's going to be you have to agree with homosexual marriage or you're out of here. Right, and that's the slippery slope because they literally just, you know, what was it, their synod was in June or something to that effect, where they kind of decided to bless the um, LGBTQ members um, and yeah. it's like that slippery slope, you know, the, once you let go of the rope, things go fast and the church of England has let go of the rope. Um, so it's good to see what's happening overseas, even though we're not church of England adherents or anything of that sort, but, uh, you know, it's good to see what's potentially on the horizon. And, you know, the thing is, is that we're still seeing persecution here in America. Um, it's alive and well here in America. I mean, especially in our most liberal states, you know, we discussed a few months ago about that pastor in Pennsylvania, if you guys remember, who basically showed up to a pride parade and within a minute of being there, got arrested, you know, for being disorderly or whatever, as he just stood on the sidewalk. Um, but now in um, Wisconsin, if you guys saw this video that just came out. I'll turn that down, but. Yeah, it's like a another pride event, and there's some street preachers there with a little mic just preaching at them, and you know, a gang of cops show up and arrest the kid. Um, looks like a young kid; he might be a an adult here. Um, so, you know, Christian persecution is here, and uh, I just think it's important to know that, and especially on the topic that we're discussing here, as we're getting ready to head to the polls. In the next year, whatever happens to be, um, politicians are going to be making their pitch to you. You know, um, we need to be kind of aware um, that this exists and be voting for 
politicians, not necessarily that claim some religious faith, um, but actually wound up persecuting our church during COVID. You know, there was a lot of politicians that claimed to be Christian of some sort. They're going to. The ones with the evil plans, (laughs) they're going to claim a faith. We have examples of it, right? I mean, just a few years ago, there was a lot of supposedly Christian leaders that were all for shutting your churches down, for dictating how you could worship, um, all these sorts of things. You can't worship the way you want unless your politician tells you to, and the way he's going to tell you to worship is not in accordance with the way you feel you should worship. Um, so just because they tell you they're a Christian can't be good enough, right? There needs to be some sort of policy or principles that actually undergird that. So, you know, I just wanted to highlight those, you know, we like to highlight Christian persecution when we see it because it's around. And a lot of times we can stick our head in the sand and be like, well, it didn't happen to me. Right. You know, so what do I care? Um, But it is happening. And I think we need to be aware of it. We need to be praying about it. We need to be speaking out about it. Um, Now I will say, I think in that video, um, I do wish the young man that got arrested would have been, uh, more submissive, I suppose. It looked like he was kind of fighting back against the police, which is not a good look for Christians. Um, You can stand, you can speak your piece, but we shouldn't be rabble rousers. He was a young guy though. It was probably... He was, but I think it was a bad look, Um, you know, especially in that situation where you want to present yourself as the moral one and the cop is the bad guy. If you're resisting or it looks like you're resisting at all, I just think it's a bad look. Um, just my two cents yeah, there, but I know. I, I think so. Christians, man, we got to wake up to the threat that's at our door um, because it's at our door if the door's not already open, right? And stop allowing ourselves again to be duped into giving away more and more of our freedom, you know, because somehow we think we're holier than God and, you know, we're going to get the most righteous man and that's all that matters. And, these sorts of things, you know, we can't vote for someone else unless they speak the Christianese that I'm used to and um, whatever it happens to be. I think we have to use more discernment than that. Mm-hmm. Understand the office that the person's going for and pick the best person for that office based on those qualifications um, because we're essentially voting persecution on ourselves in this right. nation at this point. And it's wild. It's crazy to, to think that we would just continue to do that year after year and election after election, and yet we do. Um, I don't get it. So we need to be aware of it, praying against it, and um, maybe looking at the previous track record of how we voted and how we've turned out to this point and say, was that always the best? Uh, maybe not. Maybe the guy just simply telling me he's Christian really isn't good enough. Uh, maybe I need to actually vote for somebody that has policies that have America's best interest in, in mind or, you know, my faith's best interest in mind. Um, just something to consider. So uh, do you have any final thoughts on those stories before we roll into our Bible topic? Get the Bible topic. We don't get to it very often. <laughs> All right. Now, we have been away from our Bible topic for a few weeks, um, but when we do have time, we... I think it's very important to continue our discussion on sin. Um, I think it's one of the major areas in the Christian life that doesn't get the attention that it really needs. You know, um, we don't talk about it quite as often as we should, unfortunately. 
But that's why we have been going through and will continue to go through Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. And we're on chapter 10 this week, which is titled Sin's Pride. And we'll have a link down in the show notes to the playlist if you want to go back and give a listen to the previous nine chapters of our discussion. They're all very good, but um, you know this one is obviously, I guess, near and dear because we just got through Pride Month, and you know Pride is still in our face on a regular basis. So, um, but the name of this chapter—it's a bit confusing, I think, uh, because in essence, it's talking about the sin of pride, not like sin's pride. It's the sin of pride in a sense that it's talking about. And Mark Jones starts the chapter by stating. After unbelief, nothing is more harmful to the soul than the sin of pride. And I don't think I could agree any more with that. You know, uh, at least here on this show, you know, during June, we did 30 days straight of um, looking at what the Bible has to say against pride, you know, going back from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I think you could have done many more days in a row just talking about pride it's just uh, funny we can read this chapter and get something out of it that we didn't cover in that whole month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, you know, when you're talking about biblical topics, it's like the well is almost endless yeah. in the ways that you can That's kind right. of apply and the application and, you know, looking at it from different angles. And pride is certainly one of those. And pride is so rampant in our society today that you can just probably talk about it endlessly. And pride but. can just be like hidden in our heart and um, come out in like subtle ways where it doesn't look like pride. And Oh, right. Talking about the politician again, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they can hide themselves as being very humble and, oh, look at how prideful Donald Trump is. It's gross. And you're like, aren't you like the same dude, uh, basically? So, <laughs> you know, but again, looking at the Bible, you know, it speaks plenty that on the idea that, you know, sin is, or pride is sin. Um, but then also that God hates pride. Uh, I think that's spoken about very plainly in the Bible. Um, but also, you know, the chapter discussed a little bit about the uniqueness of pride among sins. You know, Jones notes in there that pride is a monstrous evil containing all sins in it. And, you know, this idea is not necessarily new to Jones. Um, and I think this is kind of why pride was removed from the seven deadly sins, or maybe it was the eight deadly sins originally. I think it was Pope Gregory the first that changed it the first time um, because he sort of realized that pride is, in fact, the root of all sins. So you just remove it from the list and it's sort of yeah. the foundation that all sins are built on. Uh, though you'll still hear from time to time people listing pride as a deadly sin. Certainly is, but it's kind of the father of all sin. And um, that's kind of the point Jones makes in here. And that's why it's a bit of a unique sin. You know, you can be mm -hmm. covetous without necessarily being murderous, but a murderer and a covetous man are both prideful in a sense. So it's the root of all sin. Right. And... Mm -hmm. uh it's elevating yourself is what it is, thinking higher of yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, love of self, you know, desire to satisfy yourself above all others, which again, you know, that's why you would be covetous of something. You know, hey, somebody has something that I want. 
I deserve it. Why do they have it and I don't have it, right? It's in now humility. Um, everything, a lot of good can stem from humility. Just like a lot of sin stem, stems from pride. So I know you're going to read some of those, the opposite, but it is neat seeing that. Yeah, I mean, where um, pride is the root of all evil, I mean, humility is kind of a root of righteousness in a sense, mm-hmm. um, which is why we should be humble. Um, but Jones says in here, all the violations of God's commandments are expressions in one way or another of pride, mm-hmm. you know, and pride is ultimately self-idolatry, you know, if you want to call it that. It is. Uh, and it puts you in direct competition against God. You know, you can't satisfy really the first three commandments when you effectively make yourself God. You know, you're essentially placing yourself above God, more important than God. And when you think of the body of Christ, if you elevate yourself above the least of the brethren, you're elevating yourself above God. Really, you are, because we're the body of Christ and we're all supposed to think of others as better than ourselves. Right. You're saying, I know what Jesus told me. I think I have a better way. Um, You don't. (laughs) Your way is not better. Your ideas are not better. Um, So yeah, you can't satisfy the first three. And then obviously the last six you can't satisfy because pride is the root of all those sins. You know, the only one that's left really in there is keeping the Sabbath holy. Um, But again, you're not going to keep the Sabbath holy if you're completely sinning and dismissing God outright. You know, so if you dismiss the first three, you can't do the fourth anyways, right, by dismissing God. So, um, you know, this is why I think in a nation like ours that's really decided or decided to exalt personal pride, you know, it's far more likely in our opinion, which we've discussed here plenty of times, that, you know, we're far more likely to be under God's judgment or being judged by God rather than being under his blessings because mm-hmm. um, we're a— immensely prideful nation. Uh, And Jones writes in there, or in that chapter, in our time, pride is seen as closer to a virtue than a vice, let alone a sin, but this is not a biblical view. Um, And that couldn't, I mean, that's, I think, perfectly true uh, in our society. I mean, we've all seen the ads on TV or whatever happens to be about Love yourself, you know, you're perfect the way you are. I mean, just the kids' clothing. Like, it's so hard to find kids' clothes without words on it. It's just you're like... You're a rock star. You're like... Girls rule and, yeah, be yourself and, I don't know, all this self But even self-focused. to the extremes of, like, body positivity, like, you can't even tell somebody, like, you're unhealthy and you need to, you know, get your health in order and lose some weight or you might, you know, have medical issues. Like, no, now you have to be like... Big is beautiful and like affirm people. That's not a great message. Well, they're only for focused on the outward. They don't know what's going on in the inside. And this is the same thing spiritually. Like outwardly, like I see you're being being prideful. That shows that you're sick on the inside. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, you're definitely sick on the inside. Which, well, we all are, right? Because we all suffer with pride. Um, but yeah, I mean, we see that everywhere in this nation. This idea of just giving into people's pride, building up their pride, making them feel good, loving who they are, all these sorts of things. Um, and even the Christian communities kind of adopted this sort of jargon. You know, they telling people, 
well, God loves you just the way you are. You know, God made you the way you are. You're perfect. You're just how God wanted you. You know, the Andy, uh, Andy Stanley's of the world, right? Telling people they're perfect in their sin, basically, um, which is crazy. So we see this infecting our nation and the church in some respects has picked up the same messaging and just packaged it in Christianese so they can swallow it a little bit easier, I suppose. Um, so, you know, Jones writing that pride is seen as a virtue. Yeah. And even in the church today, in some respects, which is crazy again, right? It um, is sad. Yeah. In the church. So I wanted to just kind of end the look at this chapter here um, with kind of a long quote, which is what Nikki alluded to earlier, looking at the differences between kind of pride and humility. Uh, well, do you want to read it? I've been reading a lot. People are probably sick of my voice already. So, um, but this is, I think, a really important point that Jones makes in this chapter. All right. It says, pride is not only the opposite of humility, but also of love. In 1 Corinthians, Paul describes love as patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Conversely, Jones writes, pride wants immediate gratification. Pride always envies and continually boasts. Pride is arrogant and rude. It insists on its own way. It is irritable and resentful. It makes exceptions for itself in terms of wrongdoing and only demands truth when convenient. Pride does not bear with others and hopes only good for itself. It does not endure the failings of others and is self-promoting. Yeah, I mean, it's a long quote, um, but I think it just underscores the fact that, you know, pride, you know, pride in self necessarily, because whenever you talk about pride, someone was like, oh, so you can't be proud of your kid playing soccer? And you're like, come on, man. Like, I know, because you know I told someone about. early uh, on Facebook the other day, like I was proud. Who was it? Proud of their kid doing something. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, but I said something in there. That's something to be proud of. Um, and I thought about it. I was like, should I not say that? I was like, I feel like that's right. You should be proud of your kid. Your kid should be proud of what they've accomplished. It is, it's a sense of, it's not a pride in that sense. It's like we need a different word. What's another word? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely a difference that they're talking about. I mean, here we're talking about sort of self-pride, you know, the self-idolatry like we talked about, not like, you know, hey, I worked hard and got a good result or my kids are doing well and that, you know, praise God. Like that's a different kind of pride. But whenever you talk about pride, that inevitably comes up. Oh, you know, you're not proud of your kid. Like, all right, so let's deflect from the real conversation here, right? Let's let's not look inward. Um, so we're talking about like the pride in self, which mm -hmm. is that complete anti-Christian state of mind. Um, so it's bad when we see, you know, a sinful fallen world giving in and celebrating pride. But when we start seeing it infect the church, you know, kind of being preached from the pulpit, boy, that's dangerous. Um, we have problems. So um, I think this is a good chapter 
you know, we've obviously in the last few months spent a lot of time talking about pride, but it's not something we should ever grow weary of looking at discussing. This was a much longer chapter than the few um, talking points that we pulled out of it. Uh, we highly recommend you guys get this book, read it with your kids, with your spouse, um, read it for yourself. Because again, we talk about these sins, we all deal with it, right? It's easy mm -hmm. to get prideful. You know, it's easy you know, for instance, like, you know, Nikki and I are kind of dieting the way that we're eating, right? It's very prideful or it's very easy to get prideful. And, you know, you go to work and somebody's eating a pop tart and you're like, oh, I had fish for lunch. And you're <laughs> eating a pop tart. Like you're not better than them. <laughs> you know, like you have to remind yourself that you're not better than them. You're like you know? I have self-control. <laughs> yeah. Like I have self-control. I don't have the control to not be prideful, of course, but yeah. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's an area that pride is around every corner always waiting to, to trap us. And we all fall into it over and over again, right? We're going to sin in this area over and over again, but being aware of it, making sure that you're reading about it, discussing it, reading it in the Bible, praying about it, right? It should always, when you feel that sense of pride or you give in to the sense of pride, it should prick your conscience to go back to God mm -hmm. and ask for forgiveness. And, and, you know, we should be praying for humility. I always heard years ago, I remember... Um, not always heard, but I remember years ago, someone saying, don't ever ask God for humility because he will give it to you. And that is a prayer that you, God needs to answer in your life, it's like, but you don't really want him to, because that's a tough prayer to have answered. But there's but a difference you say, you know, you don't want God to have to humble you. So pray for humility before you need to be humbled. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, yeah. So get ahead of it. Right. Yeah. Get ahead of it with your repentance and your praying. Um, like, because pride comes before a fall. You don't want to fall. Yeah. And if God ultimately humbles us and it's a bit difficult, right? God chastises his children. It's for our benefit. It's because yes. he loves us. It's to. If he mold answers us. that prayer, well, there's confirmation. You might be miserable, but you're like, hey, he disciplines his children. That's just confirmation. I'm his child. Thank you, Lord, for the endless reminder of humility <laughs> of my pathetic life. <laughs> I'm so blessed. What we should be saying, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, pray for humility because pride is like the epitome of the wide road, right? Everyone on the wide road is prideful. Um, so we need to pray for humility. Humility is the narrow road. Uh, we need to be on the narrow road. We have to pray for that, like you said. It's so easy, like reading through this, that comparison, that quote, comparing pride and humility. It is so easy to think of other people who are prideful, who I are hate those resentful. Because as I'm reading it, I, <laughs> certain words make me think of certain people, like, oh, yep, that's that person. And you don't need to pray and ask God to reveal other people's sin to you. You never have to pray that. It's just automatically we know. It's always evident in your mind. Um, yeah. But for us to see our own sin, God has to show that to us. And, I mean, humility, that's what is going to happen. You pray for humility that you would see your sin and be humbled. Um, and I. I want that. I, I don't want to um, be prideful and not know it, like not realize it, like being ignorant. I think it said that in that book, 
ignorant of your ignorance. <laughs> no, I mean, and again, if you make a habit of praying and repenting and, you know, asking God to show you your sins, then I think you will be made aware of it probably more often than you think you'd be aware of it. But what a blessing to stay in that. Yeah, to for stay sure. in that mindset um, and not be afraid of being humbled. I, I would rather that. It's such a blessing. Uh, it just causes you to to praise God, to see you yourself as you really are and the holiness of God. And <sighs> Yeah, so that should be our mindset, right? Um, resist exalting yourself. Um, God alone is to be worshipped. So I'll end it here before we get to our sermon recommendation with Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. So if we ever find ourselves lavishing praise on ourselves, we should remind us, you know, be reminded pretty quickly that praise is due to God, not to ourselves. So um, any final thoughts here before our sermon recommendation? No. All right. For our sermon recommendation here, I kind of went out on a limb here. I'll be honest with you. I've listened to some of it. I didn't get a chance to listen to the entire um, sermon here, and I know it's part of a series, but I wanted to get something in the realm of politics from a Christian perspective. So uh, I listened to some of it. I'll finish the rest of it. It's Tony Evans, How Should Christian Vote or How Should Christians Vote? Um, the concept of kingdom voting. So I haven't heard. And truthfully, I don't know a ton about Tony Evans other than he's, you know, very popular, but I haven't heard a lot of negative about Tony Evans. So just because I don't listen to him that often, I haven't heard a ton negative. So if you aren't a fan of Tony Evans, please let me know. What am I missing? Because um, I'd like to be aware of it. I don't get around to every pastor under the sun all the time, but I liked at least the part, I listened to maybe the first two thirds. And I liked where he was going with it. You know, kind of the idea is that we should be obviously kingdom-minded in our voting. We shouldn't be Democrat or Republican per se. We should be Democrat light, Republican light. Um, although I would say you shouldn't be Democrat at all. But I think the point he was trying to get at is the kingdom should be your focus. And whichever way the kingdom is leading is where you should go. You know, not necessarily party-based, but kingdom-based. Again, those principles that we're looking for, not necessarily the sharpest politician, the party platform, you know, what are the principles and are they kingdom principles? Well, then that's where the Christian needs to go is kind of his idea there. So um, give it a listen if you are, are interested or if that sounds interesting. If you aren't a fan of Tony Evans, I'd love to know why, um, just so I can learn from my own edification there. But otherwise, we will be back on Monday. I will mention. We're coming up on vacation here, like Nikki talked about early. We're going to do our best to keep the shows running as uh, on normal schedule. But just keep in mind, things may come up. So if we miss an episode or we're late on an episode, um, it's just because we're on vacation. And when we're back from that, we'll try to pick things back up. But we'll do our best to make sure there's no bumps in the road here. Consistency is key, right? Um, but... Hopefully you guys come join us on Monday for the devotionals in the Gospel of Luke. And we will be back next week. So hope you have a blessed week.
The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP.